Let's pray. Oh God, we, we praise you for the mighty ways that you work in the world. And we see that most clearly, not in a beautiful sunrise or sunset, not in holding a, a wonderful little child in our arms, not in basking in the, the warmth of, of sunshine. We see it in your son, in his death and his resurrection. And we see the power of the gospel in testimonies like Lori's and Nate's. You are a personal God. You are at work in the world. You are at work in hearts. You are redeeming and rescuing sinners. And so we praise you for the way that you have worked and you are and you will work in Nate's life and in Lori's life. May you use them for your glory. May they be a bright shining light in this world that desperately needs the light of Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are a forgiving God, that you sent your Son to redeem us and rescue us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that that you do what we could never do. You bring dead hearts to life. You open eyes. You give ears to hear. Triune God, as we reflect on your greatness, on your graciousness, on your holiness, on your mercy, as we Christians proclaim the, the truth that we are justified not by our works, but by Christ's works, The reality is we have, in the last week since worshiping together on Sunday morning, we have sinned. We have said things and done things, even since Friday evening as we gathered. uh, We have thought things that were unholy and unrighteous. And so we again confess our sin. And, oh, Father, we again confess that your Son has paid for our sins in the cross. He is great enough. His sacrifice was powerful enough to atone for every single one of our sins, for all of your people's sins. And so we praise you as we confess our sins, we confess that Christ is our Savior. Lord, we lift up those among us, those who we are connected with, who we love and care for, those who we will gather together to celebrate this day with, who are suffering, who are going through physical trials, and whether it be cancer battles or uh, other health issues, who are dealing with sickness, disease, We lift them up to you, and may the the hope, the promise, the joy of Christ be their sustaining strength today. May we encourage people, not with worldly things, not merely with a nice word and, and, and a nice thought, but with the truth that you are a God who cares for those who are brokenhearted, those who are suffering, and you meet with people so often in their suffering. So may we open our mouths and share the good news of Christ with those that we love, we know, care for, we will meet with today that are suffering. Tell them that, that don't, we don't just love them. There's a, a God who loves them, and we want to love them by tell, telling them of, of your great love. Help us, Father, we pray, to not shrink back, but to open our mouths. Lord, we praise you for every good gift that you give to us, and you give so many good gifts. Even those among us who have rebelled against you, who reject you, who, who have no desire for Christ, there are so many blessings that they have experienced. May your common grace to them be a means by which they see and are amazed that, that you, a loving God, would, would care for them. And now, Father, as we make our way through your word and we have the resurrection on our minds, may you do what only you can do. Press these truths upon our hearts. May your people be glad and in awe of what you have done in and through your Son. And we rejoice in the gospel together. For your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Friday night's Good Friday sermon, I noted how in, in this morning's passage, Paul zooms in 
all the way on the very heart of the gospel. And so as I read it again this morning, I want you to, to pick that up. Our scripture reading is again 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That's what we are, are making our way through this weekend. Uh, we've been making our way through the first epistle of John, John, First uh, John. And for this weekend, we've set that aside. We'll pick it up next week. And, and we've, we've turned our attention to 1 Corinthians 15. It is a, a passage that brings us right to the heart of the gospel. If you're using one of the pew Bibles below the seats, you can find this passage on page 961. I would encourage you to take it out one. The, the words aren't going to be on the screen. The scripture won't be on the screen. And I'm going to be all over the place in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. So I'll be hopping around in 1 Corinthians 15. So it'll be really good for you to have the Bible open and looking at the, the, the passages that I'm referencing. And, uh, and so... Hopefully I've given you enough time to turn to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Uh, those are, who are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is God's word for his people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. You may be seated. Did you pick it up again? I know if you were here on Good Friday, I, I labored this point. Paul zooms all the way in, on the very heart of the Christian message, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 and 2, it's as if he grabs our heads and, and he says, you need to remember, Christian. You need to hold to the gospel. And just in case you've forgotten, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. And so that's what Paul does. He points us to, to the very heart, the very core, the very center of what we Christians believe, these two historical events that are at the very center of the gospel, the good news for sinners. He points us to Christ's death and his resurrection. Because when it comes to the gospel, Paul says in verse 3, Christ's death for our sins is of first importance. And then he says in verse 4, his resurrection on the third day is of first importance. And so having considered the importance of Christ's death for our sins on Good Friday, our focus this morning shifts to the importance of Christ's resurrection. We, we need to know why Christ's resurrection is of first importance. Now, if you're not a Christian and you've come because uh, your, your family invited you, it's the, the right thing to do, it, it, although it's becoming less and less the, the norm in our culture. Uh, well, I, I want you to pick up on this. I, I, don't, I don't intend to, to beat you up with the Bible. What I want you to know is, is, is the Christian gospel, the good news, the, the very heart of the message. And so uh, I want you to pick up on, on, on the truths that I'll be preaching on this morning, not because I, I, I think that I can convince you of these things. I don't think I can. I think that only God can. He did that in my life, and he's the only one that can do that in your life. And, and I do pray for that, and I, I'm sure that many other people are praying for that in your life. But, but I'm not going to beat you up with the Bible. Uh, I, I care about you. <laughs> I, I want you to, to know Christ and so I want you to listen to these things um, because, uh, because I'm going to be summarizing and, and getting at the very heart of the Christian message. 
We need to know, Christians, what we believe about Jesus and, and, and what is so crucial about the resurrection. If you're a Christian, my aim in this sermon is to increase your joy. We Christians are a people of joy, and that's why we've included treasure in our mission statement. If you're newer to our church or you're a visitor, hopefully you noticed that as you walked in the sanctuary. Some of us who have been here, and, and since those words have been up for a few months now, right above the, the center sanctuary doors, we're getting used to it. Don't get used to that. Remember, as you come into this, this sanctuary, Christian, if you're part of this church, that that's the mission. We want to treasure Christ above all because he is the greatest joy. He is the one who gives us the greatest satisfaction. Everything else pales in comparison to him. And so this morning, on this day in which we're especially focused in on the resurrection, that's my aim for you, Christian, that you would have greater joy in Christ. And again, if you're not a Christian, that's, that's my aim for you as well, that, that you would find joy, that you would treasure Christ above all, that you would worship Jesus, that your heart would be glad in Christ with us. The first truth is that Christ's resurrection is of first importance because without Christ's resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no good news for sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19, Paul makes it clear that without Christ's resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no message for the church to preach. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In verses 14, 16, and 17, Paul states that without the resurrection, preaching the gospel is pointless. It's worthless. It means nothing. What we Christians do every Sunday then, what, what we are doing right now this morning, and, and what we do every time we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, means nothing and it accomplishes nothing if Christ has not been raised. Now there are some professing Christians today that say that the resurrection doesn't really matter. They've kind of made it just kind of the symbolic thing, you know, spiritually he was resurrected. That's nonsense. That's catering to the world. It's a miracle. We cannot explain it. The definition of a miracle, it, it, it's outside the norm of how the world operates. It's a real bodily resurrection. There is no gospel without his bodily resurrection. Not only is our evangelism in vain, Paul says, if Christ was not raised, then our faith in Christ is in vain. There is no good news to share or to believe in without Christ's resurrection. We're foolish if Christ was not raised from the dead for opening our mouths and talking about Jesus. There's no one for us to trust in if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. There's no Savior Without his resurrection, Jesus' story ends with Good Friday. It would just be another day. He becomes merely a good teacher, a nice man who was terribly mistaken about who he was. If Christ was not raised from the dead, rather than worship Jesus, we should feel sorry for Jesus. Because he would have been just a man who was overpowered by those in power, maybe, maybe trying to do some nice things, who was unjustly murdered and whose death would have been sad, but in the end meaningless, wouldn't have anything for us today. If Christ was not raised, then Jesus would not be the Lord and Savior of sinners, as Paul says in verse 17. 
It's crucial. It's central. And so when, when if you're not a Christian and, and you kind of get lost in all the supposed rules and all these things that Christians have to do, go, have to go to church, I remember those days. Staring up at the lights, as I've mentioned before, getting that blurry spot as a, as a, as a child and just kind of catching it, that blurry spot that comes when you stare at a light. And, and, and really hating going to church. Couldn't wait to get home and watch football for the rest of the day. I love going to church now. I didn't plan that. I didn't click a button and say, you know what? I'm just going to like to go to church. This is not a labor for the Christian. It's a celebration. It's a spiritual family reunion. A joyous thing. And yet if all of these things get lost in your head when you hear about the Christian message, here's what you need to know if you're not a Christian. Christ's death is at the very center. Everything else flows out of that as well as his resurrection. So I want you to hear that this morning. If Christ was not raised from the dead, Christianity is a lie. It's like all other religions, just another man-made, worthless, dead religion invented by humans in order to cope with the reality of death, just to get us through this life. It's a crutch that we just hold on to so we have some hope, and yet in the end there's, there's no hope. Without Christ's bodily resurrection, all the, all, all the Bible would reveal to us is moralism for people. That's what this book would end up being about. You know, if you've, you've misunderstood the, the Christian gospel, the message, you, you probably think that that's what this book is all about, just controlling people, helping them uh, make better and nicer decisions, being better people. That's all this book would be about if Christ was not raised from the dead. And yet, that's not what it's about. It's about salvation. It's about a holy God who spoke the world into existence. It's about a loving, gracious God who sent his son to die for sinners. Without Christ's resurrection, the right thing for every preacher, including me, would, would be to quit, just retire, be done with it. The right thing for every church would, would be to, to close their doors, maybe turn this place into a coffee shop. I happen to love coffee. If, if we don't have a gospel, we, we might as well serve people coffee in this place. We do, but, but that's all we should do. Come get some coffee, turn this into some club. We can hang out. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then every missionary who, who has sacrificed so much, at times their very life, should, should just return home. Just come home, build their own kingdom, live for the world. Because without Christ's resurrection, the gospel would be no gospel. Just a fictional story in the same category as Aesop's fables or Harry Potter. The consequences would continue. In verses 18 and 19, Paul says that, that Christ, if Christ had not been raised, then every Christian who dies would be in hell. Because without his resurrection, again, bodily resurrection, then Jesus' death wouldn't have paid for our sins. The proof that he was not a liar, but, but our Lord and Savior, and that his death fully atoned for our sins, is his resurrection. His resurrection is the receipt that the payment that he made for our sins was accepted, that, that the check has cleared when it comes to our sins being paid for. Paul says that if there is no resurrection, we Christians are to be pitied more than anyone in the world because we have built our whole life on a lie. We have wasted our lives. We would still be hopelessly dead in our sins and destined for hell. Without Christ's resurrection, it would be best to follow the world, to fully embrace YOLO, maybe get that tatted on our arms. You only live once, so, so do whatever you feel like doing. 
If it seems good to, to go get drunk and live for the world, if it seems good to, to make an idol out of money, whatever it is, you, you pursue that with all your passion because there is no judge, there's no accountability for how you live your life. There's no hope because we've all messed it up. To be forgiven of your sins, YOLO. You only live once, so live for the day. Live for yourself. Sin and don't care. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. There's no point in life. And yet, because Christ was raised on the third day, our preaching is not in vain. God uses it. And every Christian in this room is, is evidence of that reality. Use it in my life when, when I heard it for, I don't know how many times I've heard it before. A pastor got up and just preached the gospel, simple, plain gospel. And he used it because his preaching was not in vain because, because the gospel is true. Because the gospel is true, because Christ was raised from the dead, our faith is not in vain. Sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? Like, I'm just trusting in Jesus here. I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I'm saying no to sin, and all these people are saying yes to sin, and they have a smile on their face, and you can see it on Facebook. What you don't remember sometimes is that that's a lie. They don't have, you don't get a picture of all the junk and the struggle and the suffering because of sin that that person's going through. They just smile, take a picture, a selfie. Here it is, I'm happy. They don't have Christ, they're not happy. And so you struggle, is my faith in vain? It's not in vain. Because Christ was raised from the dead, Christian. It's everything. It matters that you trust in him. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we are representing God, church. We have the glories of the gospel to proclaim to a dying world that it needs to hear the truth about Jesus. We're testifying, we're using our mouth to say the most wonderful things. God sent his son, and his son died for our sins and was raised from the dead. That's amazing. I know that, that many of us have heard that so many. That's amazing. The God who made us, who we rebelled and rejected, sent his son, who is God. He took on human flesh, lived a perfectly obedient, sinless life, and then willingly gave up his life to die on the cross, and then three days later was raised from the dead. Crazy. That's awesome. We get to say it. I, I just said that right, right now to you. The same mouth that was used to say the most disgusting, terrible things has now been redeemed, and yours as well, if you're a Christian, to say the most glorious, wonderful things. Wow. And it's all tied to the resurrection, Christ's resurrection. Because Christ was raised, we're not dead in our sins. We're not going to perish in hell forever. We have hope in this life and in the next. Because Christ was raised, we are, of all people, most blessed. Don't pity me if, if you know, this guy's got it all wrong. He's just fool. He's living for Jesus. I am blessed, and every Christian is. Not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done. We are most blessed, Christian, because Christ was raised. The second truth I want to put before you this morning is that Christ's resurrection is of first importance because Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection and means the defeat of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul addresses the error of denying not just the resurrection of Jesus, but denying the bodily resurrection of every single Christian. It seems as though some Christians in the church in Corinth, or maybe some people had started to come or mingle and, and interact and, and, and hang out with other Christians, well, they believed that, that Christ had been 
physically or bodily raised from the dead, but, but they denied that other Christians who trust in Christ would be resurrected like Jesus. And Paul's response is that if Christians are not raised, then Jesus Christ was not raised. He seems to say it back. Wait a second. If we're not raised, then Christ was not raised. It's, it's a wonderful thing to entertain and think about today. Paul says if, if Christians aren't raised, then Jesus wasn't raised. Paul says that, that our resurrection and Christ's resurrection, they're linked. They're united together. You can't have one without the other. It is, and I'm telling you this, maybe you're not catching that That's a profound statement for Paul to make. If we're not raised, then Christ wasn't raised. You, you can't have one and not have the other. Because Christ was raised, if you are in Christ, you too will one day bodily be raised from the dead. In verses 20 through 23 in 1 Corinthians 15, we read, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Because Christ has been raised, those who die in Christ will be made alive in Christ. Christ is the first fruits, meaning his resurrection is the first of many resurrections. And the resurrections to come are going to be just like his resurrection. Think of that, that imagery of a fruit tree, whatever it is, an orange. You know, an orange tree produces oranges. The, the first orange is evidence of what's to come. There won't be apples after that first orange. What's it going to be like? Are we going to get some other type of fruit? It's going to be a mango that comes on that apple? No, no, it's going to be an apple or an orange. Whatever tree that is, that, that's the same fruit that's going to come from that. Paul says, his is the first fruits. The rest are going to be just like his. Church, Christian, our resurrection will be physical, bodily. It'll be perfect. You know, if, if, if maybe we've, we've got some aches, some pains, or some issues that we've had to work through, some limitations, you know, there's this reminder here that, that it's going to be perfect. We don't know exactly how it's going to be. We're going to be similar somehow. People are going to recognize us. It might take some time for them to recognize us. We don't know how tall we're going to be, what age, you know, kind of thing we're going to look like. Any, but we know it's bodily. It's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to be complaining anymore about a sore knee, <laughs> This or that, they're going to say, this is awesome. We're going to be amazed, a bodily resurrection. And in this same passage in verses 21 and 22, Paul links it to our union to Christ. By faith, we are united to Christ. So what happened to Christ, his resurrection is going to happen to us because we're united to him. Again, that's what baptism pictures. We have died in Christ. We've been raised in Christ. What happens to him is going to, what happened to him is going to happen to us. Everything is going to be right. Because his resurrection happened, our resurrection will happen when he comes again. And so the church has cried out over and over again since he ascended to, to, to be seated at the right hand of his father. Come Come back, Jesus. Come quickly. And every generation of Christians is praying, Now, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly. Come back. Because when he does, those who are in Christ will be given a glorified body. Because his resurrection happened, ours will happen as well when he comes again. We're not going to be floating around in the clouds. 
we'll have a glorified, resurrected body like Jesus's. We, we read in Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So God the Father raised God the Son by God the Spirit. Our salvation is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Spirit at work saving sinners. And if you're a Christian, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you and I from the dead. Same power that raised Christ from the the dead, same power at work that, that caused him to walk out of the tomb is going to raise our bodies from the dead. Very same Spirit. And here's another thought to entertain today. He's at work in you right now. He indwells you. He gives you strength for the day. He reminds you of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God when you are going wayward and struggling with sin. He brings you back. He illuminates the scripture so when you read them, wow, I believe that. He's at work in you. He, He brought you to life. He unplugged your ears. He gave you eyes to see Jesus. He gave you a new heart. And he will bring you that same spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring your body to life. You will be glorified. We have the power of the resurrection in us right now because the Holy Spirit is in us. We also see here that that though death has a say today, Jesus hasn't come back yet, so there's funerals. People are dying. We're grieving when they die. In reality, Christ's resurrection means the defeat of death. Christ's resurrection is going to bring God's complete victory over death for his people. Right now, there's this real, true spiritual component. Every Christian has been raised already, past tense, in Christ, spiritually. They've been brought to new life. And yet one day, all of death will be done. Because Christ was raised, he's alive, he was vindicated, we have been justified, Jesus wins. Every ruler, authority, and power who opposes Christ will be destroyed. That includes every sinner who rejects the gospel. Every enemy of Christ will be put under his feet. Christ has established God's kingdom through his death and his resurrection. This is the very center of the gospel. Very center, the death and resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26, Paul tells us that after all of God's other enemies are dealt with, the final enemy that has so long plagued God's people, which is death, it will be destroyed. At the cross, our sin was paid for, and in Christ's resurrection, the greatest consequence of our sin, death will be destroyed. Christ's resurrection declares that one day death will be done. There will be no more. No more funerals. No more grieving at all. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's resurrection, when we Christians grieve the death of another Christian, and we do grieve, you should grieve their death, we grieve with hope. We don't come to that funeral thinking if they've died in Christ, that's it. No more. No, they're alive. They're with Jesus right now in glory. 
Because Christ was raised, we know that, that we will be reunited with every sinner who has ever truly repented and trusted in Christ throughout all time. Whether that be a grandparent, a spouse, a best friend, a child, or, or one of our heroes in the faith. Can't wait to meet certain people that have shaped me, that have discipled and poured into me, that have since gone to be with Jesus. That's, that's awesome. That's the promise of the resurrection. Can't wait to meet Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all the, the saints who have given up their life. That I, don't, I don't even know their name. To be with them in glory. Can't wait to, to meet Lord willing. I'll have great, 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 great grandchildren that I don't even get to meet, but because the Lord works mightily in in. In, in my children's and their children's lives, they share the gospel and there's, there's people that will have my last name that I will not meet that will be in glory. Can't wait to meet them. And why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection and every person who trusts in Christ, their resurrection. It means the defeat of death. How glorious, how wonderful, how amazing it is, church. Again, if you don't believe it, I can't make you believe it. I just want to get you thinking about it. Not so you would have a crutch. I don't, I'm not interested in, in just giving you something to kind of get you through this life. No, I want you to have the truth, to know the truth, to believe the gospel, to trust in Christ. Well, this brings us to the third and final truth that, that I'll put before you this morning. On, on Friday night, I pointed out how in verse 3, Paul states that, that Christ's death for our sins was was always God's plan. With our focus now on the resurrection, we see in verse 4, Paul saying the very same thing about Christ's resurrection on the third day. He says the very same thing. It was in accordance with the scriptures. It was God's plan, his will. So both Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead three days later, they, neither was plan B. It wasn't as if he sent his son afterwards. He, he knew, he planned, he created the world so Christ would redeem sinners for his glory. And not only did he plan to raise his son from the dead, but he planned that it would be three days later. This means that, that just as Christ's death was prophesied of in the Old Testament, so was his resurrection. And not only his resurrection, but that it would happen on the third day. Remember, Paul says, uh, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We, we find Jesus saying this very same thing in Luke 24, 46. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Throughout the New Testament, it's over and over. Third day, third day, third day. Remember, the angel tells those who come to the tomb, don't you remember? He told you he would be raised on the third day in accordance with what is written. And so where is it written that Christ would be raised on the third day? We're helped by what Jesus said in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus said those words to some religious leaders uh, that knew the Old Testament. They'd memorized much of the New Testament, I'm sorry, knew the Old Testament, and they'd memorized much of it. They were flipping around, making connections. And he, and he says, you're searching those books, those scriptures. And, and, and they speak about me. 
And they, they were missing. They were missing it. It's all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament only points us to Jesus. And the Old Testament points us to Jesus, or it bears witness about Jesus in, in various ways. Sometimes it points us to him with, with clear and obvious prophecies. If you read them, and then you read the New Testament and the account of, of the gospel and the work of Christ, you're like, yep, right there. In Micah 5, 2, it's right there. Isaiah 53, Genesis 3, 14. Oh, it's all right there. These clear, obvious prophecies. Examples of this would be the prophecies about Jesus' miraculous birth, where he would be born, his earthly lineage, his earthly ministry, and of course, his sin-atoning death. It's all there. You just see all these prophecies pointing to Jesus. But other times, the Old Testament points us to Jesus through certain people, certain events and repeated themes or patterns that foreshadow the person and work of Christ. Examples like this would be Adam. Adam is the first man. And yet Jesus is, is the second and better Adam, and, and Paul picks that up in, in Romans. Another example would be Moses. He leads people, the, the Exodus story, the account of, of how God's people left slavery in Egypt and, and made their way to the promised land. The, the, the key figure in that is Moses. And yet Jesus leads his people, not just out of slavery, of physical slavery, but spiritual slavery to sin. And so Moses foreshadows the redemptive work of Christ. Then there's the Passover lamb who helps us better understand the atoning work of Christ. Then there's the, the building of the tabernacle and, the, and later the temple where in the Old Testament, God's presence uniquely dwelt with God's people, all paving the way for, for understanding Christ's incarnation when God's presence would dwell with God's people like never before. Emmanuel, God with us. That Christ's resurrection would be on the third day falls into this category of, of the Old Testament pointing us to Jesus. Because there is, as far as I'm aware, no explicit prophecy in the Old Testament that the Christ would be raised on the third day. However, in the Old Testament, we, we do find this pattern of God doing important things. I mean, really important things. Redemptive and resurrection-like things all that point us to Christ's resurrection on the third day. There are many examples of this, but I believe the best one is found within the story of Jonah. I think most of you are, are familiar with the story of the prophet Jonah. If you've ever gone to Sunday school, it's one of those stories you learn uh, in Sunday school. I remember as a child hearing the story. It was one of my favorites, right? Especially if you read it in, the, in, a, in a kid's Bible. Oftentimes it's just a happy st story. Jonah's smiling. I get to be in the belly of a fish. This is great. And you read the, the biblical account, what the Bible says, you're like, wait, that wasn't so exciting and so wonderful. There's some issues. Jonah, Jonah has some issues when it comes to trusting the Lord. To remind you, God told Jonah to, to go to Nineveh to preach a message of repentance so that the people who lived there would repent and be saved from God's wrath. Well, Jonah wasn't excited about doing that. The Ninevites were Israel's and therefore Jonah's enemies. He didn't want them to hear that they needed to repent and turn to God. He didn't want them to be spared. He, he, he was likely thinking, that'd be great. Why would I go there to, to share that they need to repent when you could just wipe another enemy out? Be great. Well, God had other plans, showing his grace and his kindness, even back then in the Old Testament, towards those who were outside of the covenant. And so probably out of hatred and maybe some fear, Jonah refused to go. He wanted God to pour out his wrath on them. So instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah got on a boat headed away from Nineveh. Or as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in her children's book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Jonah bought 
a one-way ticket to not Nineveh. Of course, God wasn't good with that. He's never okay with, with people disobeying his commands. And so God caused there to be a big storm. Yes, he's sovereign over all things. A storm big enough that the crew on the boat believed that they were going to sink and die. Jonah, knowing that the storm had come because of his sin, his rebellion against God's word, told the crew to throw him overboard to save the boat, and so they did. The storm stopped, and Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. Eventually, Jonah was spit out by that fish, came out alive, and having learned not to disobey God, really having experienced God's grace, he went to Nineveh and became a messenger of God's grace. And the Ninevites, in response to Jonah's message, repented and were not destroyed by God. And so what's the connection here to Jesus being raised after three days? Well, we read in Jonah 1.17, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So after three days, Jonah says in Jonah 2 verse 2 that, that he was brought out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol means place of the dead in Hebrew. So the prophet Jonah, who was to bring good news to sinners, was in his own words in the place of the dead for three days, but then was raised on the third day. You might say, well, that seems like a stretch. Three days, three nights, what about three nights? Well, don't get lost in that. I, I think I would agree with you that it's a stretch if it were not for what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. See, these people were like those, and I was one of them. Give me a sign from heaven, God. Write it in the sky. Just come, Jesus, re- reveal yourself to me. Then I'll believe. Then I'll stop getting drunk. I'll, I'll stop making baseball or football an idol. I'll stop living for the world. But you've got to prove yourself to me. And that's what these, these religious leaders had, were doing. And maybe that's what you do. Prove it. I'm so special. I'm so important that if you want me, then you've got you to make it clear. No, I don't, I don't want to trust in you. I don't have faith in you. I don't want to believe your word i got to come to you on my own terms, and, and that term is you, you tell me right now. You reveal yourself to me. So that's what these people were doing. Prove it, Jesus. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so here Jesus puts the puzzle together for us. He connects the dots. There is a purposeful and providential parallel between Jonah's deliverance from Sheol and the amount of time Jesus' body was in the tomb. You might say, you know what, I, I, I wonder if God was thinking, you know, so Jonah was in the belly of the fish for, for three days and three nights, and then when I raised Jesus from the dead, you, you know what I'll do? I'll make it three, and then we'll talk about Jonah. No, 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 that's not how God works. This was the plan. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days because Jesus would be in the tomb for three days. When I think about God's providence and his work and how everything is under his control and he's moving history along, even before anybody really, really got a good understanding of who Jesus, the Messiah, would be, I'm in awe. It was all planned out. So that we would connect these dots and say, wow, that's my God that I worship That's the God I've given my life to because he gave his life and he had the plan set out from before time to redeem me and all those who would trust in Christ. And we see it in in Jonah of all places. 
As one writer puts it, just as Jonah got spat out of Hades on the third day, so did Jesus. And just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so Jesus became a sign to his generation. He's a sign to us. He's a sign to you if you're in this place. You've heard the gospel. This is why Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Because the amount of time Jesus was dead wasn't arbitrary. It was all planned by God. So this should strengthen our faith, Christian. It's another example that God is sovereign. That he will carry out his plan in the world. We don't always feel like that. We look at the world, we turn on the news, we read the sports page, and we're like, oh man, I, I, if this was my plan, you know, the Brewers would have swept the Dodgers. If this was my plan, you know, I, I would be able to, to do this or to do that. This wouldn't have happened in the world. And we come to the scriptures and we say, no, no, it, it, God is at work. He's at work bringing about his plan. Even the length of time our Savior would spend in the tomb, three days, was foreshadowed in the scriptures and accomplished by God. For it was always God's plan for his son not only to die for our sins, but to be raised three days later from the dead. I love that. that that's who we're worshiping. This mighty, awesome God who loves us, who cares and plans and, and moves in the world, who's a personal God. Every time we, we, when we look at the world, we say, wow, and it's spring, it's really here. It's supposed to be like 70 or something today. So some of us will have more of those thoughts like, it's beautiful. Start skipping a little bit, right? Wow, that feeling, if you know Jesus should lead you to say that you made this. You're the maker of all these things. You designed it all and it fits together. And you sent your son and you love me and he died for my sins and you raised him from the dead and because you raised him from the dead and I'm united to him, I will be raised from the dead. Leads us to worship and be in awe. Friends, because Christ was raised on the third day, the gospel is true. Every word of it. And even those parts of the Bible that we, we don't understand, we struggle with, parts that kind of rub us the wrong way, it's all true. And ultimately, it's all good. It's beautiful. Because Christ was raised on the third day, every man, woman, and child who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ will one day be raised from the dead, just like Christ. What happened to him is going to happen to you if you trust in Jesus. Not just so you could get out of hell, have some fire insurance, but so that you could delight in God like never before. Right now, we talk about treasuring Christ above all, and, and really, you know, we, we won't until that day when we see him in all of his glory and we're with all the saints and we're totally forever and ever more and more amazed with every single moment in glory with Jesus. And yet that's the aim. That's the hope right now. We're treasuring Christ above all because he's worth it. For all those in Christ, death is defeated. Death is undone. We taste it now. We will experience it then. Christian, Christ's death paid for your sin and his bodily resurrection guarantees your future bodily resurrection. Every lie you have told, every sinful, terrible thought that you have had, every person that you have hated, every single wicked thing that you have done, your greediness, your selfishness, your rebellion and your rejection of God for however long you rebelled and you rejected God, all of it paid for by Christ. And you will be raised from the dead. So I ask you this morning, are you trusting in Christ? Not, I'm not giving a sales pitch. I don't do that. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you looking to Jesus and seeing him rightly 
as the Lord of life, the only Savior of sinners who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Do you believe the gospel? Because it's true. It's all true. And you need to turn from your sin and trust in him if you haven't and worship him with us. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this day. Again, every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. A reminder that all who die in Christ will be raised in Christ. And yet today, as we focus our attention, especially in on the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection, the reality that it is at the very center of the gospel, may our hearts be moved to worship Jesus. May your people be increasingly in awe more and more. I know that, that so often we believers can come to a place where, yep, I think I've reached my max in awe. I, I pray, Father, that you would increase our max, that our, our tank this morning would be overflowing with joy in Christ, for he is worth our joy, our affections, our love, our worship. And again, we pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that your simple, beautiful, precious gospel, the death of Christ for our sins and his resurrection, would, would be made clear to those who are dead in their sins today grandmas and grandpas, husbands, wives, children, nieces, nephews, would hear from the lips of your people what Easter is really all about. That we would not shrink back, but we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is you, the living God. May people see, may they hear, May they believe and treasure Christ above all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.